Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Headlines that uh, that we could cover today. Let me just uh, let me just give you a few. If you missed the first hour, go back and uh, and listen again. Um, we had great conversations with Brett McCracken from the Gospel Coalition about those yard, those uh, signs in your neighbor's yards, and uh, and with Dr. Hunter Baker about the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings before the Senate. Great conversations. Um, so she's going to face a barrage of questions again today. So let's be upholding her in prayer. She has uh, she has said publicly that she appreciates it. So let's keep doing it. Um, the FBI kidnap or the, the kidnapping plot that was uncovered by the FBI that uh, that targeted the Michigan, Michigan governor apparently also targeted uh, the Virginia governor. So that is going to be a story that continues to unfold, and we will be watching it as well. Um, Belarusian opposition leader has called for a nationwide strike in Belarus, and so um, he is currently exiled in Lithuania. Um, but uh, she, excuse me, she is currently exiled in Lithuania. Um, but we definitely want to continue to uphold the people of Belarus in our prayers, and we will circle back around to that conversation on Monday when we do international headlines with David Aikman. The United States Supreme Court has ordered a uh, a halt to the U.S. Census. So after weeks of back and forth, the process of counting the entire United States population um, is going to officially end. So on Tuesday, the Supreme Court suspended a lower court's order that actually required census takers to keep working until the end of October. The Supreme Court said, no, no, they can be done. They can be done. So uh, the census is uh, over. Hopefully you got counted because you count. And you're always accounted for. Maybe this is the theological point here. Um, God can account for everybody. No one is unaccounted for. God knows who you are, where you are, what you're dealing with. God sees you. God loves you. Um, He is not far from you, particularly if you are brokenhearted. So if you're feeling as if God is far away, let me invite you to do this. Turn around. Turn around. God is not the one with his back to the relationship. We're going to talk about relationships right now. Uh, Relationships in life and in business work best when everyone is individually connected to God, walking with him. Uh, That makes our relationships with one another far superior, but lots of relationships um, include people um, who have personality traits that frankly kill relationships. And so Bill English joins me from BibleandBusiness.com. We're going to discuss the six A's, the six A's which kill relationships. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Bill English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. We are going to go through the Oakland A's roster, and we're going to talk about <laughs> lethal relationships. There's the 40 Oakland guys. A's. There are 40 A's on the roster, but apparently that's not the conversation. Talk with us about the six A's which kill relationships. These are the, the six A's, and there's probably more. It's just that I, I didn't uh, put them all in the book. Uh, anger, <laughs> apathy, uh, affairs. Uh, my wife said attitude. I don't have that in the book. Abuse, uh, addictions, and arrogance. So I'll just go through those again real quick. Anger, a- apathy, affairs, abuse, addictions, and arrogance. And look, here's the, here's the deal. Uh, you have any one of these in an intimate relationship, whether it's a business partnership or a marriage or a close friendship, you have any one of these, the relationship can probably work, but it'll be more difficult. It's going to take a lot more cycles. Uh, any two or more, and the relationship will eventually die. It, it's over. Uh, it, it's just a matter of time. Uh, relationships can't handle the heaviness of these. So um, we, you know, let's just start with anger here, right? Angry. Yeah. No, partners. I want to go. I want to go through the list, but I want to um, let's pause just for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And um, and and let's be sure that people are keyed in to what we're talking about. So relationships matter. We are um, designed by God to be in a relationship not only with Him. But once we are in a relationship with God, it it influences how we understand and see ourselves. We can only be in a right right relationship with ourselves if we're in a relationship with God. And we can certainly only be in right relationships with others when we are in a right right relationship with God. And so we are talking here about uh, about the most important relationship, and that's a relationship with God. But it works itself out. I mean, the reality where we all live is in relationships with one another. And so as Bill is walking through these six A's, these things that are uh, relationship killers, these these things that are lethal, anger, apathy, affairs, abuse, addictions, arrogance, I'm sure there will be things that come to mind that you know have killed relationships in the past as well. So you're welcome to amend the list. Um, but Bill, let's start off with anger. How and why is anger a relationship killer? Well, A, angry, no, no no pun intended, angry partners are hard to work with. They shut down communication. They cause others to walk on eggshells. They can be really intimidating people. Uh, Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Anger is a learned response to a lack of control and to not getting one's way. It's really a very selfish response in many ways. And that's why James 1.19 says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And why is that? Because man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires, right? Um, Anger can come from jealousy. We saw that in Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. It can come from pride. Remember, Jonah was actually really mad at God. This is in Jonah 4. Uh, He was really mad at God that God saved the Ninevites. I, I, I don't know if people understand that. He went and preached. People responded. And instead of him being happy for them, he was really mad about it. And that was his pride coming out, or just hearing the truth in Second Chronicles 16. So anger is, is a way to shut down communication, and it makes people really, really hard to work with. And in a marriage, 
relationship, uh, it's just difficult to live with them. And if you're really angry with God, uh, boy, you can, it's, it's difficult to relate to God if you're really angry with him. So maybe the flip side of being angry, because at least an angry person is a person who's engaged and paying attention. Um, Correct. Talk about the second one, which is apathy. <laughs> this is the flip side, huh? Uh, apathy. <laughs> uh, when you have the means to do good. Now, this is how I, I, I'm taking this approach. When you have the means to do good, you have the opportunity to do good, and the person who needs your act of goodness is in front of you, and you simply choose not to do it, that is apathy. That's how I'm defining apathy. James 4.17. So, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So the well, so the way that I what came to mind when you when I read this definition and now when you articulate it, when you have the means to do good, an opportunity to do good, a person who needs your act of goodness, but you simply choose not to do it, um, that's when that's when we look through one another. We look past one another. Um, sure. There's a dis- disregard for the other. Um, there's a it, that this is this is a really heartbreaking one. I would rather someone be actively angry with me than simply look through me or past me, particularly if I'm in need and they can they're in a position to do something about my need and they look past me or look through me. This is a really convicting one in terms of our uh, ability to show compassion and the times that we don't. And if we do this often enough, Carmen, we get a callous heart. And then we really don't see people. I, I think there are times when, when we have the opportunity, we have the means, the person is there, and we just choose not to do it, even though the Spirit is prompting us. But boy, when, when we can't even hear the Spirit's prompting, and, 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 we, and we see the, the situation, but we don't interpret it the way God does, that's a callous heart, and that's a really dangerous place for us to be. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right, so you've got a verse, you've got some... Uh... Some verses here you want to point to on the apathy front. Yeah, real real quick, James 4.17, if anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Um, so if, if we see a need, we have the ability to meet that need, and we don't do it, frankly, that is sin. All right, Bill English and I are going to come right back from a very brief break. We're going to talk about the next four relationship killers, affairs, abuse, addictions, and arrogance. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. If I should speak, then there be of the grace that is Continue my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We're talking about six of what I, you know, maybe a much longer list, but we're going to talk yes. about these, uh, these, these six A's this, that lead the list of relationship killers. We have talked about anger and apathy. So, um, so let's talk about the third one here, uh, affairs. And really we're talking, when we're talking about affairs, we're talking about any relationship that um, is with a person other than your spouse that puts you in conflict with your marital vows. Yeah, and that and that gets to be pretty broad because it doesn't have yeah. to be physical. It could be emotional, yeah, uh, or or it could just be a better friendship with a person of the same sex of your spouse, uh, and that's that's a difficult place to be. It's really a violation of trust too. I think I think we have to talk. Just mention that that's affairs also have to have I think uh, the element of violating the trust of your marital 
spouse. Now, look, in a, in a, in a business partnership, affairs have to be dealt with in the partner agreements or the buy-sell agreements because those affairs oftentimes lead uh, the other partners to be in difficult situations with regard to their ownership stakes and that kind of thing. Uh, if the affair is with an employee, boy, you got a whole host of problems there. If the um, affair is with somebody else, then it's it's a little bit easier to deal with. But in a marriage, an affair is a killer. It's, it's just, can marriages survive? Yes. They can, and I'm sure we have a number of listeners who have survived this. But ongoing affairs, it, it, it just doesn't work. And uh, even if both parties are in favor of some kind of an open marriage where they are engaged physically with other people uh, with the uh, with their spouse's consent, I think over time that they're going to find that that doesn't bring them what they had hoped and that that will eventually kill uh, their relationship. Okay, now I have to pause because they're going to totally be all over me on the text line. Um, that is not oh, a Christian really? position. That is not a biblical position. Uh, there is no advocacy here today for open marriages or anything other than uh, the sanctified marriage that is uh, designed by God uh, between one man and one woman. There you go. I have said it, Bill, so you don't have to. Okay, let's talk about oh, I... the next A. I know. I, I'm, I'm, I know I, you weren't I, advocating I... for it, but I have to say it out loud or they're going to at me. Okay. All right. I'm yeah. sorry. All right. No, no, you're good. You're good. All right. Let's talk about All abuse. Right. And All abuse, right. abuse is a broad term as well. This is not, this is not just somebody smacking somebody else around. Uh, it does include that, but mm -hmm. it's also the deliberate misuse, especially in a business setting. It's a deliberate misuse of one's power and or privilege that injures others while enhancing your position or your station. Uh, and verbally, it, it is usually involves insulting other people without really much regard to how they think or, or feel about things. Uh, for an employer, not paying wages on time uh, and the wages that were promised is a form of abuse. This is just one of probably a dozen passages in the Bible from Deuteronomy 24, 14. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You simply don't do that. Uh, and believe it or not, abuse can happen between a pastor and a parishioner, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, where it says, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we have to be careful about abuse uh, it's usually an imbalance of power, and it's usually the powerful one abusing the one who doesn't have the power. All right. And then um, the next one is addictions. Yeah, you know what this is. It really represents a bondage to sin. We think of addictions in terms of alcohol or drugs or sex, that kind of thing. But it can include sins that we like, like mm. overeating or gossip or always being connected to our vices, or, or I'm sorry, our devices, not vices, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or maybe watching too much TV, um, th those kinds of things. Okay, it could be playing too much. It could be like a person with whom you are in a business partnership who insists that they have some sort of spiritual need to play golf four hours every afternoon. 
I can't imagine anybody having that need to do that every afternoon. Right, but you I see really what I'm can't. saying? Like, it becomes an addiction, <laughs> it right? Does. And But it does. that intrudes. It intrudes on their work performance, on their ability to support the partnership. I mean, on and on. Like, addictions are really wide-ranging. They really are. And yeah. uh, it, it, it can include just working too much. You know, you hear mm. workaholism, right, where we borrowed from alcohol. Workaholism, people who just work 60, 70 hours a week, and they love it, Right. It's still an addiction of, of sorts. Ephesians 4.28, and I go through this in my book, uh, and we don't have time to unpack it here, but let the thief, the thief is in bondage, no longer steal, but rather let him labor. So now he's doing something honest with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So instead of the thief being in bondage to the sin of stealing, he can find freedom in Christ uh, to the point where he's actually working and giving away rather than taking from. And that's a, that's a, Ephesians 4.28 is a really good passage uh, for people to look at if, if they want to overcome addictions. All right. And then the final A we're going to talk about on this uh, list of six A's that are lethal to relationships um, is arrogance. This one is, um, has a really broad definition as well. Yeah, arrogance is really one of the core characteristics of a wicked person. It is birthed or grown in the soil of rebellion. It is what uh, the evil forces really have at the core of their um, personas uh, because they oppose the one true incomparable Yahweh, right? They are the ones who are opposing. And in order to oppose God, you have to have arrogance. You have to think that you're better than him. Uh, Psalm 73, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll say, I'll just read part of it. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. David writes, they have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. Uh, but he goes on to say, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. You can't be violent with somebody else. Uh, when you're initiating the violence, unless you have arrogance within you, their callous hearts are uh, call for iniquity and their evil imaginations have no limits. It's really rebellion against God and rebellion, as we know from First Samuel, is really divination. It's really, it's really a, a, a divination because Samuel writes, "For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry." And so um, arrogance is something that's difficult to live with in a partnership. It's difficult in marriages. It's difficult in, in uh, close friendships. And usually arrogant people flutter from relationship to relationship because as charming as they might be sometimes, their arrogance also gets the best of them. Um, this one, I think, is uh, particularly easy for us to see in others and very, very difficult to see in ourselves. Yeah, you know, pride, um, rebellion, greed, covetousness, jealousy, comparison, judgmentalism, right? Isn't this why we sit before God on a regular basis and say, mm -hmm. God, what sins do I have that I don't know about that I need to confess? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, God's, and God says, you know, Bill, you were arrogant. And I go, yeah, I know, but I don't want to admit it because then, you know, and and so forth and so on. But really... Uh, having the Holy Spirit point out the sin in our lives and being willing to hear this from God is something uh, that if all of us were to do this, we would be a much more humble and I think much more effective people for God. 
Yeah, walk humbly with our God is what I wrote yeah. down um, next to this. Like, right, the remedy for this is is confession, really honest confession, regular honest confession, um, the regular practice of saying to the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us, I submit, I submit to yes. your work, to the sovereignty of God, to the reality that I yet need to be conformed um, in a myriad of ways uh, to the image of Christ. Um, but Spirit, you know what those are, and so work on the one that needs work today. Conform me more fully to the image of Christ that I might walk humbly with God today. Because if I'm walking humbly with God, if my relationship with God is right, and the only way that that's possible is through the righteousness of Christ, but if I'm walking humbly with God, that I'm going to be walking humbly in relationship with other people in my marriage, um, you know, as a stepmom, as the host of this show, as your colleague and friend— in whatever business partnerships I might engage in, on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, there you go. Then that way you don't have to. All right, that's Bill English, <laughs> BibleAndBusiness.com. We love talking with you every week. Thanks for joining us today and walking through these uh, seven A's that are relationship killers. Really appreciate it. You bet. Have a good day. You too. We'll be right back. Have you already settled into your day? <laughs> well, then uh, this next conversation comes with a warning label. Uh, it's about to get really unsettling. We're going to have an unsettling conversation with Greg Holder about our lukewarminess. Yes, our lukewarminess. It's a word. Revelation 3. Check it out. Uh, we are going to talk about being people who never settle. Our choices the chain reactions we initiate by our choices, and the way out of lukewarminess. The book is Never Settle. Greg Holder is the author, and he's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lacano. The crowd followed Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. The 15,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children were hungry. Philip and Andrew counted the hungry people. They counted the money in their bag. They counted the amount of fish and bread. They did not, however, count on Christ. And he was standing right there. Yet the idea of soliciting his help did not dawn on them. Even so, Jesus went right to work. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And as much fish as they were wanting to. John chapter 6 and verse 11. The impossible task of feeding all these people became the unforgettable miracle of all these people fed. What we cannot do, Christ does. The problems we face are opportunities for Christ to prove his point. Remember, friends, you are never alone. This is Max Locato. All right, joining me now is Greg Holder. Um, there's every chance that you recognize his name um, from the genius of one or as the co-creator of the Advent Conspiracy. Um, he's also a contributing writer for The Voice Bible. Um, you may know him as the lead pastor at The Crossing, which is, uh, yeah, a, a really big church reaching a lot of people. Um, today, we're going to talk with him about his brand new book. It's called Never Settle. Choices, Chain Reactions, and the Way Out of Lukewarminess. Greg, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you for having me, Carmen. 
Yeah, we're starting with lukewarminess because yeah. it's sort it's sort of a made up word. However, it does capture the spirit of a particular passage of scripture. So take us there and then um uh talk about maybe the critical compromise that we've made with the world that makes Jesus want to puke. Sure. Yeah. Well, clearly I made that word up. So um I got that one past the publisher, but it does describe you're absolutely right. That that well-known passage in Revelation 3 that many of us have heard, even, even from our younger days as believers, if we grew up in the faith, we've heard that story of you are neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, therefore uh, you know, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And so that really was the jumping off point of the book. What opened it up for me was when I began to look at the the uh, the geography and the history around Laodicea, the church to which Jesus is speaking those strong words. And so it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm, I know many of your listeners, most, maybe all of them know this, but, but uh, to the north of Laodicea in the country of what we would now call Turkey, uh, there's a city called Heropolis that was known for its hot springs. Just to the east in that river valley is a church called Colossae that we know of uh, quite well through Paul, and it was known for its cold springs. So there's cold water in Colossae that is just wonderfully you know, pH neutral. You'd bottle it and sell it today kind of water that quenches a thirst. And then to the north is this hot, soothing water. In fact, the, the hot springs there in Heropolis, even in the ancient world, were seen as kind of a healing. A, 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 it was almost a spa town. And yet you get to Laodicea, and the water source there is lukewarm. So I think Jesus is using the water conditions and the quality of the water there in Laodicea to help those people understand the quality of their faith and the way they're living things out. So when I grew up, I'd actually heard of this as, you know, either be for Jesus or be against Jesus. Just don't sit on the fence, which never really made sense to me because I don't think Jesus wants anyone against him. But what I think is really being said here is be soothingly hot or be thirst-quenchingly cold, but make a difference. Just don't be lukewarm. And so that's really the, the jumping-off point of the book, Carmen. Yeah, I like the uh, be, be soothingly or therapeutically hot, um, you know, or refreshingly cold, um, because Jesus is clearly talking to Christians, and so That's it's exactly not it's right. not about being, you know, for or against him in terms That's of right. um right. I'm 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 with him or I'm not with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. And so the question is, am I with him in a way that is uh soothingly and therapeutically hot to those around me or refreshingly cold to those around me or do people which would also be like salty, let's say, versus Absolutely. people experiencing me as, you know, a salt that's lost its saltiness, which frankly is ineffective, or, you know, a, a hot water that has cooled off to a point that, you know, well, it's like coffee. It's like stale coffee. Like if you want to bring exactly. this forward to today, you either order, you know, your latte hot or you order it on ice, but you often do not order it like at room temperature. That sounds kind of right. icky just to say it that way. Well, I tell you what, Carmen, when you say icky, now you get to the to the, you, the second part of your, your original question. It's this idea of when Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, the word there in the Greek is actually very graphic. It's the word emeo, from which we get like emetic pans. Those are those funny little kidney-shaped pans that they give you at the doctor's office if you're going to be sick. <laughs> An anti-emetic is something that keeps you from, you know, 
I don't know uh, any other way to put it, but vomiting. And so uh, that's really what that word means. And so the title of the first chapter of the book is What Makes Jesus Puke? Um, I tried to pitch it as the title of the book, but that just didn't go anywhere. Uh, but, but the point is, Jesus is saying, when we who call ourselves Christ followers decide to play it so safe that we compromise and people become so satisfied with, with what they're doing in the world that, that they're just, it never occurs to them to, to take his word and to take the good news into the world anymore. When we, when we just choose to, to blend in rather than to stand out, uh, when we play it safe sometimes rather than standing up, I think Jesus is saying that's very, very, um, it's very disconcerting to me. And when Jesus uses strong language like that, I want to pay attention to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so the fire on the and the ice on the cover. Uh, by the way, m- the book is Never Settle. Greg Holder is the author. I do have complimentary copies to give away today. If you are intrigued and interested, if you want to say, "Gosh, I I I know that I have settled. I would like to live in a way that's unsettled. I want to be either hot or cold, uh, soothingly, uh, you know, warm to those around me, or refreshingly cool." Um, I don't want to be the kind of person that's living my Christian life in such a way that, frankly, it's just all settled in. Uh, if right. you're if you're interested in all of that, go ahead and text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Greg Holder and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm going to ask him about uh, how the ice cube can be on fire because that was the question at my dinner table last night when I told him the book I was talking about today. So there you go. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Greg Holder. You can find him at gregholder.com. That's a great place to connect with the book. It is Never Settle. Yes, I have copies uh, if you are interested in one, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Okay, Greg, um, the the cover caught the attention of uh, the kids at my dinner table last night um, because they often ask, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I said, well, tomorrow I'm talking about this. And uh, it provoked conversations about um, science projects and it, would that be possible? Robert Frost yes. made an appearance with a poem. I mean, I'm telling you, it was uh, <laughs> you, you. So the, the cover art is intriguing. Um, we are actually talking about being hot or cold, not not maybe simultaneously, simultaneously hot or hot and cold. Um, talk about how people have responded to the very idea that we are supposed to be unsettled because I think that there, and and this happened at my table because obviously they had not read the book, right? And so there was this immediate pushback. Well, we're supposed to be people who, you know, are at peace and with one another and we're, and we're settled. We're settled in our faith. We are, um, you know, we're not supposed to be, you know, just constantly um, uprooting and, uh, and tearing at things. And so it's just an interesting way of, uh, of interpreting even the whole idea um, for those who haven't read the book. So let's be sure people recognize this is not like permission giving to people who want to walk away from their responsibilities as parents or for a child in need or for an aging parent in need or for a spouse in need. This is actually um, giving us a greater connection to compassionate, real compassionate living versus a living, a life that would be more in the routine of uh, American consumerism. 
Oh, absolutely. The the whole point of of not settling, when you understand the word settle, the word settle for me goes back to this idea of putting down roots. And of course, we abide in Christ. So that's obvious. Uh, but the point here is, where are we putting down our roots? Are we putting down our roots in the land of less than is one of the ways that I put it. Less than than helpful, less than hopeful, less than loving, less than courageous, and ultimately less than Jesus. Because that's that's what we don't want, is we don't want this less than life. Now, that almost starts to sound like a Christian-y self-help book, which this is not. When you get further into it, what you begin to find is the reason we can't help but dream and still think and pray and long for for change to happen in our world is because we were made in the image of God. So that's really the next big point there is the grand glorious idea that we see in Genesis chapter 1. And and it's the pinnacle of the it's the pinnacle of the creation song, frankly, and uh, we probably don't have time to go into it, but I use an old Whitney Houston song to help you understand the Hebrew and the rhythm of the Hebrew in Genesis 1 that takes us to the pinnacle of creation song, which is what? Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. So because we're made in the image of God, we have this capacity for relationship with him. We have this responsibility to love him and to and to seek him out, but to love one another. But we also will have this embedded desire and capability and longing to continue to care for his world that he hasn't given up on. And so I think that as you go through the rest of the book, what you see are really practical things. I love that your kids brought up the idea of peace. There's an entire chapter devoted to peacemaking. I think one of the most uh, lukewarm things we can do these days is to forget that Jesus said in the most famous sermon ever, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So there's something about us being brokers of shalom, even in this divisive world, where we don't compromise and we don't, at the same time, we don't we don't dismiss uh, people that, that, that we might not initially agree with. How can we come to, to, to a place where we begin to show them who Jesus is? I love some of your words, Carmen, that I've heard you say, where it is like when we run into people, are they running into Jesus? Well, that's really what the rest of the book is about, is how do we embody this life that God has called us to, made us for, and empowered us with through the, the presence of the Spirit? And so it gets really practical, and I would say kind of nuts and boltsy when you start talking about uh, just whether it's peacemaking, whether it's the the biblical gift of hospitality, whether it's uh, how do I endure a storm? I think all of these things are a part of living that flourishing life. Okay, and I will tell you that when I read the um, I read the chapter titles to them, uh, what makes Jesus puke? Obviously, we had to then stop, but they loved hobbits, refugees, and the Imago Dei, which is what you just talked about. Yeah. Um, and then chapter four, everybody wanted to turn to chapter four because they were pretty sure they thought they knew something about the real Bat Cave, but then they were surprised, <laughs> of course. Um, and then, you know, on and on and on. Anti-fragile was something that was familiar to me, but not to all of them. They wanted to know about the Muppets in the balcony. So I guess I'm telling you that the um, you have set some um, some intriguing hooks that people are interested in then, you know, turning to and discovering more about. The book is Never Settle, Choices, Chain Reactions, and a Way Out of Lukewarminess. Uh, Greg Holder is 
the author. You can find him at gregholder.com. I do have copies of the book to give away from Tyndall. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Greg, let's give people a first step out of lukewarminess. I, um, I sometimes say to people, look, if you don't like the fruit that's being produced in the culture around you, till it up. Like you got to yeah. cultivate something new. You got to get out there. You got to till it up. So I'm a um, I am a person who is aligned with you in the way you're thinking about this. Talk about the first step of getting out of lukewarmness. Yeah. Well, okay. So with this obvious truth in the background, I'm never going to suggest that you and I can do this without. God. I mean, the Mm. opening line of the prologue is this world is in need of some supernatural help. Mm. Well, that's where we have to start. Okay. So from there, I would say, really, there's a a chapter entitled Choose You This Day, which goes back to, you know, an important point in the time in the life of Joshua. But the, the, the big theme of that chapter is you have to be intentional about this. I don't know any of us, Carmen, who who wake up the next day and and are just surprised by some huge progress we've made in our life, whether it's, wow, I'm out of debt, or wow, those 15 pounds went away, or wow, I've got those scriptures memorized. Those things, at least in my experience, they never seem to happen just spontaneously and me waking up one day and going, hey, look at that, it happened. It really does come down to an intentional choice on my part. Will I choose to take just the next step with God? Will I take just the next step trusting Him and 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 following Him? And I believe that even those small steps, because now we're talking about another chapter of chain reactions, I believe even those small steps begin to set off chain reactions of grace and hope and goodness. And I think that's really what I would want your your listeners to hear, is that that in this world that is so overwhelmingly loud right now, and at times discouraging, for some people intimidating. God's not intimidated by this. God's not surprised by this. I believe God is heartbroken by a lot of what he sees. But God is not overwhelmed by this, and he's calling me to join him in this. And he's not calling me to change the whole world right now. He's calling me to take the next step, just the next step with him. And those decisions, if you pile up enough of those intentional choices with him, now you've got some momentum. Now you've got these chain reactions that are rippling through your life. But we also join in with other people. That's why I'm, I'm such a believer, obviously, in, in the communities of faith that we have to be a part of, even in these strange times. I, I, I'm so appreciative for things like your radio show and others that are connecting the body of Christ. But I think, honestly, if you made me just give you one thought, it's be intentional. Choose the way you're going to live your life and know that God is he's with you and he's not he's not overwhelmed by this. Mm-hmm. He will take that choice and ignite it in ways that that you probably never even imagined. That's exactly right. So it is inspiring. It's encouraging. It's also challenging. Um, and it is about making the choice not only this day, but in the very next moment when there needs to be a positive choice made in an intentional direction to choose God, to be to serve God, like choose this day to serve God Amen. and not to serve self. And that really is a moment by moment, sort of in the spirit of Francis Schaeffer there. Um, Greg, thank you so very much. You right, guys you. Uh, you guys can find Greg at gregholder.com. That's a great place to connect with everything that he's doing. Um, you can also grab the book. It's called Never Settle. 
Choices, Chain Reactions, and The Way Out of Lukewarminess. Greg Holder, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it was my privilege. Thank you. Likewise. We'll be right back. Okay, let's be, uh, let's pause before we criticize today. That's just my little walk off this morning. <clears throat> Take a pause before you allow a critical thought to turn into a critical word that feeds a critical spirit and that foments a critical environment. Like there's enough criticalness. I don't know about you. It's just on top of head and heart today um, for me. Uh, maybe it's something I need to be more mindful of. I'm sure it is. Um, and so it's my word from God to self today and through the mic to you as well. Um, have a great day. God bless. Be an agent of grace, an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, a reconciler, a peacemaker. You are beloved. Go and love likewise. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.